We'll be coming from Romans chapter 3 for our, uh, our next episode or our next, next lesson in Romans. And just reviewing a little bit um, chapter 1 and 2 that we've heard during the last few weeks. Uh, chapter 1 where, we, where our Paul is rejoicing and, and being thankful um, to God that um, the Romans had heard the good news and had received it and had become followers of Jesus Christ. Paul was rejoicing with them and letting them know that he was eagerly anticipating coming to see them and that he had tried many times um, to come to them but was prevented, um, did not, um, was not able to make it when he wanted to. So we are, are seeing here that he's rejoicing with the Roman, the churches in Rome, and he's rejoicing that they have received the faith and that God had included now the Gentiles, Greeks, and all to be um, uh, recipients of the gospel. And one of the key verses from chapter 1 is verse 21. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And we, we, we um, Pastor Mark was teaching how it was turned over to, to evil and they were given reprobate minds and every evil imagination that they could think of, they were doing it. And even though they had a knowledge and they knew God, but their hearts were not with God. And then chapter 2, um, we begin to look at God's righteousness and then the Jews and the law. And two of the key verses that I like from chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For God does not show favoritism. And I'm glad about that. God does not show favoritism. Also, uh, verse 28 and 29, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise <clears throat> is not from other people, but from God. And so we're understanding that um, it is not about the physical nature. It is about the heart. And uh, we are thankful to God that we don't have to go through any physical changes in our lives in order to be counted as one of God's people. Because now the change doesn't, take, doesn't just take place outwardly, it takes place in our heart. And then we are followers and lovers of Jesus Christ. Amen? So it leads us to chapter 3. And chapter 3 is, uh, is a very interesting chapter. It's going to be broken up into, um, into two phases, 1 through 20, and then uh, the rest will be 21 through 29. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 20. And the, the theme for our, the message here this morning is, it's in a question, what advantage? What advantage? And that's the question that the Jews were asking. As Paul is writing this letter, um, he's sort of writing it with an imaginary person um, sort of in a dialogue with an imaginary person sort of hitting some of the questions that one might ask or that he has heard from other Jude, um, Jude, Jewish leaders or rabbis and he was sort of tackling those questions because it was a very important thing. Remember the history of Paul's writing was he responded a lot of times to concerns and questions that he had heard from other people so he wrote letters to address those. So here he is writing with this dialogue sort of in his head addressing some of the things that the Jewish 
um, followers, the Jews, were thinking, and that was, do we still have an advantage? Are we still God's special people? Okay, the Jews were God's historic people. God chose them. God loved them, and they wanted to maintain that advantage. They wanted to make sure that that advantage was still there and that their worth was still there. And so they asked the question, what advantage? So here we're going to look at that, and I don't know about you, but in life I, I, I always like to look for an advantage in something. Don't, do you? You know, you that are athletes, you know, you work hard, get in the weight room, you run faster, you run further. Um, you, some even use um, performance enhancement drugs, you know, just to get a, a hand up or leg up on someone. They, you know, try to look for any advantage that, that they can find. Students, you know, you, you, you study hard, you look for that advantage to get the best grade that you can get. And employees, you know, you work hard, work overtime, you know, so you can get that good name. And, you know, when it comes to promotion, you'll have an advantage because they see your face all the time and you work hard. You, know, you want to maintain that advantage. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a native of Madison, born and raised, been here all my life, been here 50-something years. And, um, <laughs> and uh, you didn't hear the, the first number, did you? Uh, and so I feel like I have an advantage anywhere I go in Madison because I, I know every side of town, north, south, east, and west, and I go into places and I say, you know, I'm a native Madison. It feels good to say that, you know, I pull out my card, I'm a native Madisonian, you know, and I go in places and sometimes you get favors, sometimes, oh yeah, I remember you running around as a little kid. Yeah, you grew up on the south side. And it feels good when you have an advantage. But then all of a sudden things begin to change and uh, new people move in town, and new people have become movers and shakers, and, and you start seeing them getting some of the advantages that you are accustomed to. You say, wait a minute, I, I, I've been here all my life, and they just come in here for, you know, a few months, and they're getting all these advantages, getting art, news articles written up about them, winning awards, uh, humanitarian awards, and I've been working hard and doing all I can, and you know, nobody's talking about me. But here they come, and then I often think about the scripture, a prophet is not with honor except in his own country. You know, new people come in here, and they can do anything, and you're like, oh, these are the greatest people in the world. And you've been struggling and going through and being talked about and all that, and nobody notices you except when they want to say something negative about you. So you start wondering about your worth. Am I still valuable? Am I, am I still worth anything? Do I still have an advantage? And you get a little territorial because now just like the Jews now we're not just the special people now God is loving on these Gentiles also who are they they're heathens we are the chosen people we are the historic people we are the ones that God loved we are the ones that God gave his word his oracles to we are the ones we are the Jews remember you rejected God over and over so when God started giving some attention to the Gentiles when he started giving attention to the other one, when you thought <laughs> you were it, you started getting jealous. <laughs> I'm going to tell a story about myself. <laughs> I'm always telling a story. Me and my wife were, were dating. Okay. <laughs> and uh, we, um, you know, we had a little breakup. It was my fault. We had a little breakup. And, uh, you know, 
she was, you know, she, she liked me a lot, you know, she's like, you know, this is, this is, this is the one I don't, you know, I love him. You know, she was, just loved me, and I was like, oh, that's so good, I love it, I love it. So we had a little breakup, and one day, um, during that breakup, uh, I was wondering where she was, and uh, she was out looking for a car with another person. And I was like, hmm, wait a minute. Now, granted, we had broken up, right? So I had no, no, you know, right or anything, right? So she's out looking for a car with another person. I'm, I'm asking all these questions. What are you doing? I'm looking for a car with him, you know? What he got to do with anything? You know, and she's basically thinking, well, what, why are you asking me all these questions? You know, we, we're not together anymore. So before, when I had the advantage and I felt really worth it, I was getting all the attention. Then when I, not really rejected, but when we broke up and then she started, you know, hanging out with someone else, I started saying, wait a minute, you, you got to leave the heathen alone. <laughs> you know, I'm the man. I'm the one. I'm the called one. And you start wondering, you know, why, you know, you messed up. That's what happened. You messed up. Well, I, I did get her back. I didn't win her back. Um, but you have to realize that when you have no right or when you have not appreciated your position and your place, don't get jealous when they start giving attention to someone else. Okay? So Jews, don't get jealous this is what Paul's saying when God starts loving on the Gentiles because he wanted to love you, he chose you, but you rejected him. So now they're wondering what advantage do we have anymore? So let's look at the scripture. Chapter 3. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. Boom, right there. They ask the question, what advantage is it in being a Jew? Paul is, you know, this is, this is Paul writing, so he's writing what they're thinking. Okay, this dialogue, imaginary dialogue going on. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value or what worth is there in circumcision? All the things that we counted on, all the things that we put so much stock into, are they any good anymore? Is there any advantage to it? Paul answers the question, says, much in every way. I want you to remember this, this answer here for later on. Much in every way. First of all, because, and first of all, is not indicating that there's going to be, and secondly, and thirdly, first of all, he's just laying it out. God has entrusted you with the very words of God. He has put his word in you. He has given you his word. He spoke his word to you through Moses on the mountain. He spoke, he gave you his word. You were the chosen people that God choose, chose to give his very word to. And you did not appreciate it. The history of the Jews, the, the Hebrews, the people of God, they were chosen, they were brought out of slavery after 400 years, right? They wandered in the wilderness for how many years? 40 years, a whole generation killed off. God led them through the desert. 
He led them by a pillar of smoke and, and, and a cloud. Uh, he fed them manna. He brought water from a rock. He destroyed Pharaoh's men in the Red Sea. He gave them a clear path across. God did so many things. He had so much favor and grace and mercy on them that they, because they were his chosen, he loved them, but they still rejected him. You start rejecting, that advantage is going to start kind of leaving. God said, if you, don't re- if you don't accept me, you reject me, then I'm going to love. I'm going to find someone who will love me. But to know the great thing about God is that when he found someone else, meaning the Gentiles, to love, he didn't exclude the Jew. He didn't say, I'm going to love them now only, and you are lost. But he said, I will love them all. I will love you all. So we look at the Jews in their position. God gave them his word. There was no other nation that received the revelation of God. It says the Lord overlooked the educated Egyptians and Greeks. He, the, uh, the cultural Babylonians on the mountain, God revealed himself to Israel not only on tablets, but also by the divine voice coming from the mountain that burned with fire. The Assyrians, the Amorites, and the Amicalites had no such advantage. None of the other nations had the word of God. None of them. Now, why are we making a big deal? Because the word of God is priceless. The word of God is our power. The word of God is our authority. The word of God is our lifeline. That's our license to be victorious. The word of God, we can't live without it. And God gave it to them and they rejected it. So here we are hungering and thirsting after God's righteousness, after his word as Gentiles. And God said, if you are hungry, I will feed you. If you are thirsty, I will give you drink. They that hunger and thirst after the righteousness shall be filled. And we're hungering, we're thirsting. So God fills us with his word. He gives us his word. He shares his word, not just with the Jews, but also with the Gentiles. What a blessing. We don't have to have it on tablets in our heart, on stone, but we have it in our hearts. David said, hide the word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word was a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. The word of God. And here we are, the very oracles of God. We're adoption. They have the divine glory. They have the covenant. God had a covenant with them through Abraham. That we be blessed through Abraham's seed that we are blessed. And not only them, but we are too. And then it traces all the way through to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So have you ever felt in your life, in your career, in a relationship where you were losing your advantage? Or that you were losing your worth? That you didn't feel worth it anymore? The advantage was no longer yours. How do we deal with that? Well, Paul goes on. He's asking the question now, what if the 
were some that were unfaithful. Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak. This is according to um, quoting from Psalms 51, 4. So that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. This is after David had sinned with Bathsheba. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increase his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Paul tells us later on that there is therefore now no condemnation of them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, right? So we know that there's no, there is no condemnation, but they ask you the question then, if, God, if, if, if God's glory is increased and his, faith, and his faithfulness is, his truthfulness is enhanced, why are we still condemn the sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result? Their condemnation is just. So there was this thing that they had going on that if God is faithful and my unfaithfulness brings out God's faithfulness, if my falsehood brings out God's truthfulness, if my hard-headedness brings out God's goodness, I said, then we might as well continue on doing the things that we're doing. Well, Paul said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. We don't do wrong because we want to see the goodness of God. We do wrong because it's our human existence. It's our humanness. We do it because we can't help it, right? And God's goodness is revealed when we do wrong. We don't do it purposely. We don't do it willfully so that I'm going to go out and I'm going to do something bad so I can see God's goodness. No, I'm going to see the consequences of what I did. But because we are human and we trip up and we fall and we make mistakes and we have flaws and we say things that we shouldn't say and we do things that we should not do, that's when God's grace and mercy is revealed and it's enhanced and it is increased when we do wrong. That's why we can't look, when we have weaknesses in our lives, we can't look at our weaknesses as liabilities. Oh, I have a weakness and that's a liability. No, exactly, it's not. Because your liability, your weakness, brings out God's what? His strength. In our weakness, his strength is made perfect. So if I have a weakness, that means I have an opportunity to seek God's great strength. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Isn't that good? My weakness, in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. We wouldn't know strength if we didn't know weakness. We wouldn't know light if we didn't know darkness. We wouldn't know comfort if we didn't know pain. We experience these things in life so that God's goodness can be revealed, his truthfulness, his faithfulness. So when we do wrong because of our human, our humanness, God's mercy rises to the top. He rescues us. We try, don't we? We know our righteousness is as filthy rags as Isaiah tells us. We know we try to be good, don't we? We try to be good citizens, good human beings. 
but we make mistakes. And thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his forgiveness. Thank God for his kindness. Thank God that he looks beyond my faults and he sees my needs. He doesn't overlook my faults. He just looks beyond them. If he overlooked them, meaning he said pay no attention to them. But he looks beyond them, meaning he doesn't stop there. He says, I see you're struggling, but I got some help for you. Hallelujah. He looks beyond our faults. And so now here we are, included in this great blessing of Abraham and God. And they're questioning, is it all worth it? If God is going to be good anyway, why do we even live right? If God is a good God, a forgiving God who looks over, who looks beyond everything, why do we even do right? Why? Well, we should not do wrong so that we can see God's favor or grace. We should live the best way we can. Think, just think about it. You're going to do enough wrong in your life for you to have to go and try to invent something. <laughs> You're going to face enough trouble for you to have to go look for it. Hey, you, there's no need for any of us in here to go say, listen, my life has been so good, I've got to go look for some trouble. <laughs> i got to go look for some trials and tests and tribulations to go through because my life is just too blessed. No, no, no. It will come knocking at your door. It will come ring, ring, ringing on your phone. People you haven't seen in years, right? When you make up your mind to get your life together, all of a sudden they come out of nowhere. And you don't have to go look for it. It will come. But in the meantime, as we live life, as we serve God, as we continue to look to him, we will trip up. We will make mistakes. We will do things that we should not do. We will say things. We will think things. We will listen to things. We will. We will. We just will. Now, I'm not giving you a license to do it. I'm not saying, well, since you're going to do it, just do it and have a good time doing it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that stop, let's stop being afraid to live because we're so worried about making a mistake. Live your life. God gave us life. He gave us this life. Let's enjoy it. Let's live it to the fullest. Let's be blessed in this life. We wouldn't know up if we weren't down. Right? No matter what, God is good. So my second thing here is in verse, from verse 3 to 8, it says, God's faithfulness is never nullified or, or should it be questioned? We do question God sometimes. And I said three things are why we question God. One, we question him sometimes because we're ignorant. That means we just, we just don't know. We just say, Lord, I'm ignorantly coming to you because I, I really, I just don't know. You know, Lord, I, I, you know, I don't know why you brought me to this job. I don't know why you brought me to this church. I don't know why you brought me to this woman I don't know, or this man or to, you know, I don't, Lord, I'm just, I'm asking you out of innocence. So sometimes out of ignorance, we do ask. Number two, sometimes we ask out of doubt. We want to be assured. Is this the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? And number three, sometimes we ask out of rebellion. Thinking that I'm asking this because maybe God's going to let me out because I don't want to do this. 
I don't want to go, so I'm going to ask God until he says, you know what, just go. <laughs> we want to rebel. Sometimes we rebel against God and we question him. But because our questioning should, should it, it, it doesn't nullify God's faithfulness. Our, um, our hard-headedness and all of that doesn't nullify God's faithfulness because he is faithful. He will always, he will remain faithful. He's faithful even when we're wrong, he's faithful. When we sin, he's faithful. God doesn't need us to be God. Okay? Meaning, he's God whether you like it or not. He's God whether you say it or not. He is not God because of us. He's God all by himself. And he will forever be God. He was at the beginning. He created anything, everything in the beginning when we weren't even existing. So he's God. He doesn't need us to be God. He's God. So whether we're in, whether we're out, he's God. Whether we're up, whether we're down, he's God. Whether we're crooked or whether we're straight, he's God. Whether we're black or white, he's God. Whether we're tall or short, he's God. Whether we have an afro or no fro, he's God. <laughs> he's God. And he doesn't need anybody to prove that he's God. He will be God when we're here and after we're gone. He is God. Amen. And so sometimes we question that big God because he is a big God. And he knows everything. But he will never take away his godness. He will never take away his faithfulness, his promises that he has for us. He's a big God. He can survive on his own. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. He's been God forever. This is not something new for him. He's not practicing on us. He's not practicing being God on us. He's got it down. <laughs> Hallelujah. He's got it down so much that if he thinks something, it's going to happen. If he says it, it's going to happen. If he told us every single one of us in here were yellow, guess what we would turn? Yellow. yellow. That's how great a God he is. All right, I think I, I got that enough. <laughs> so the third part chap, uh, in chapter 3, I like how nine, verse 9 starts off. He says, what shall we conclude then? Again, Paul is, is writing, what shall we conclude then, Jews? Do you have an advantage? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. Wow. Remember how, we, remember how it started out? What advantage then is there being a Jew or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. Now verse 9, the tone changes. So what shall we conclude? After everything we've heard, read in 1 and read in chapter 2 and everything we heard about God's goodness and God's promise to his people, how God brought the, the Jews, the children of Israel out and all of these, it says, so what shall we conclude? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. Why don't we have an advantage? Because now it's not just about you. It's about the world. It's about everyone. It's about everyone that God loves. It's about everyone that God created. Everyone that will be a follower of Jesus. It's no longer about one people, one nation. He has now included all nations. So you no longer have an advantage. But you're still blessed. You no longer have the leg up, but you are still included and blessed in the promises of God. I 
says, not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. <laughs> we already know that. No matter you're a Jew and you follow the law, you're a Gentile and you don't even care about the law, we are all under the power of sin. Romans 3.23, which we'll see next week, says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we are all under the power of sin. Well, how, do we, how are we freed from the power of sin? Does sin have power over us? Does sin have authority over us? No. Because we serve a big God. We serve a great God. And he has delivered us from it. So it goes on. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. You're not righteous by the works of the law. And that, was, that message was to who? The Jews, right? Works of the law on the eighth day be circumcised, that doesn't declare your God's righteousness to you. Rather, we are through the law which became the conscience of our sin. Okay? And we are righteous in God and right standings in God because of our faith in Jesus Christ. The law wasn't given to point us to Christ. The law was given to point out our sin, to let us know that there is none righteous, that our throats and our feet and our mouths and all of the things that Paul listed there are just evil. There's no good in us. And that's what the law pointed to. The law exposed who we are. But thanks be to God, grace and mercy, after the law pointed us to, the, to our sin, Grace and mercy pointed us to the cross. Hallelujah. That Jesus died. He, he was born. He lived. He died. He rose again. So it doesn't conclude at our sin being exposed. It concludes that our sin was covered by the blood of Jesus. Our sin was forgiven, was washed away by the blood of Jesus. So we conclude that we all are in the sinking boat. We are all, we were all on our way to hell. We were on our way in the biggest Titanic ship we could find, on our way drifting to hell. Some of us were surfing along, having a good time, but thanks be to the grace and the mercy of God that brought us out, that delivered us and rescued us from ourselves and from our sin. And now we look to the cross. We look to the author and the finisher of our faith. We look to the shepherd and the bishop of our soul. We look to the king of kings. We look to the Lord of lords. We look to the alpha and omega. We look to the beginning and the end. We look to Christ Jesus who hung high on the cross and he looked low 
on our sins. And he says, I forgive you. You have now been adopted into the royal family of God. Whether you're Jew, Gentile, black, white, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, it doesn't matter. We are God's. So, there is no advantage, Jews. <laughs> we have invaded your territory. <laughs> we are loved by God. And let me tell you, people, let's love being loved by God. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you, God, for loving all of you out there. All of, all of them out there, God, thank you. Thank you for loving our families. Thank you for loving our enemies. You are God, and we thank you. We thank you that you show no favoritism, that you love us all the same. Isn't it great to be in a relationship with God through Christ Jesus? He didn't have to love us especially me, especially you. He didn't have to love you, but he did. He fell in love with us, heathens from the other side of the tracks. He fell in love with us, raggedy clothes, holes in our shoes, hair not together, school dropouts, uneducated, poor, maybe on welfare, but he loves every single person. Whether you live on a hill or on the bottom of the hill, he loves us. And that's what the gospel does. That's what the gospel does. It transcends, it goes through all cultural barriers and it finds a little one like me sitting there saying, I just want to be loved. And the gospel, the good news says, I love you. Jesus loves us. Amen. Praise God. Maybe you have been like the Jew and you've been rejecting God's call to your life to come and be a follower of him and let him love you. Even when you didn't love him, he was still loving you. And now the word, the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart. And you say, I want to give my life. I'm going to give my heart to Jesus Christ. And I want to serve this great God that reached out to me. Remember, he found me. I hear a lot of people say, oh, I'm so glad I found God. And God was never lost. <laughs> he found us. We were the ones wandering in life, and he found us. So today I want to pray with you. Word of God in Romans says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. So I want to pray this prayer this morning before we um, go into our communion service. And if you want to say this prayer and become a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to repeat these words. You can say it out loud or you can say it in your heart. You can say it in a whisper. It's not that I hear it, it's that God hears it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner. Forgive me 
for all my sins. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for my sins. He rose for my life. Today, by grace, through faith, not the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, I'm saved in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.